This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked Design Program Manager Marcy Quintana what's her biggest challenge with designing for Facebook. I would say one of the biggest challenges is collaborating with so many different teams. Especially for designers, a lot of times other teams need to build into um, their products or vice versa. So making sure that the design can uh, be collaborative and also like stay holistically making sense from like a UI perspective, I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I see. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Dockyard is looking for a senior UX and visual designer. Vox Media is looking for a new VP of design. Friendly Design Company is looking for a mid-level interactive designer. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and this is our 200th episode. Revision Path has come such a long way since the podcast officially began in 2014, and I'm just so thankful to every single one of you who have listened to the podcast, who have downloaded it, who have told people about it, who have shared it. it you know, it's really been the support of our audience, as well as the design community as well, that has helped us to make it this far. So thank you so much. We asked you all to send in your comments for our 200th episode, and Y'all really came through. I mean, we had so many comments to choose from. There were two in particular that stood out. The first is from Latrice Carmichael, and she says this. I'm a design student, and it's really hard to find people who look like me as examples of excellence as a designer. I stumbled across Revision Path one night online, and it felt like I found home. I'm not caught up in all the episodes yet, but with everyone that I listen to, I feel more affirmed that this community has a place for me. Thank you for all that you do. Second comment that I wanted to read, this is from Marshall Shorts, who you all may remember from episode 76. He says, I love Revision Path for the work it is doing in archiving thought, practices, and history of contemporary black creatives. I can always go and listen to episodes and find inspiration from people who look like me in the creative class. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Latrice. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you to all of you who sent in comments. I wish I could read all of them here, but this would end up being a super long podcast. Maybe we'll put them all in a in a blog post or something because I really uh, appreciate you all sending in such kind words about the show. 
Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools you need to be yourself on a bigger stage. So whether that's big business or freelance work, you can join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to grow their businesses on their own terms. And with integrated Facebook and Instagram advertising, you can find new customers and reconnect with others. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding that perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know what else is ridiculously easy with Hover? Setting up that new domain with the most popular website builders out there. Just use their Hover Connect feature to set up your domain automatically in just a few clicks. No more digging through knowledge base or help articles to figure out how to get your domain working. Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional business or enterprise projects. Whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview. Backed by popular demand, it's creative director, entrepreneur, and multidisciplinary designer, Sarah Hunting-Young. Let's start the show. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Sarah Honey-Young. I'm an award-winning creative director, interdisciplinary artist, and photographer from New York, but currently living in Pittsburgh, PA. And I'm working on a project right now called American Woman. Let's go into that. Let's talk about American Woman, because I know that really has been a focus of your work probably for the past, what, year now, right? Yes, I started in the end of July in 2016. So yeah, crazy enough, it has been about a year. (laughs) It's been, it's, it's been an interesting year with that. (laughs) Where did you get the idea from to start that? So uh, American Woman uh, is kind of a gradual thing. I mean, just being a black person, being a black woman, but being a black person in general in America, and having so many stories, we all have that story about at least one time somebody told us go back where you came from, or you don't look like you belong here, or even just feeling like we don't belong somewhere. But it very specifically came about um, before the Olympics last year. And I should have her name. She's a fencer. She's a black uh, Muslim woman who actually ended up getting the bronze medal at the Olympics. Um, And she had been asked to remove her hijab when she went to the Olympic village. Like she had her picture on her ID and for whatever reason, they asked her to remove her hijab so they could identify her. And she got on Twitter to talk about it as she should have. And a lot of the responses were supportive because as much as I feel like so many people are jerks, there are a lot of (laughs) cool people in the world who are supporting her and saying that's wrong. Um, But then there were some people who said, well, if you're representing America, you need to look American. You need to take that off. You're not you're not fencing for Iraq. (laughs) You're fencing for America. You need to look American. And it it, it brought to mind like, okay, here is this titan 
of American exceptionalism. Like this is like truly without a doubt, without debate, the, the very thing that Americans say they want to represent them. An Olympic athlete, a stellar athlete, and she was still not American enough because she's a um, black Muslim. So that put a bug in my head. And when it came time to apply for the grant, which is called Advancing Black Arts in Pittsburgh, the grant is a partnership between Heinz Endowments, Heinz, the ketchup people, but they do a lot of philanthropic work here in Pittsburgh and beyond, and the Pittsburgh Foundation. Uh, my cousin Damon actually won this grant before for Very Smart Brothers, which he used to pay me to design it. So that was that was great. Uh, my friend Disha Filia has won this grant before. A really exceptional poet here in Pittsburgh named Tamika Cage Conley has won it. So I just decided to go for it. And when I was thinking up an idea for what I wanted to do, I really wanted to focus on what can I not do without this money? Because I can build websites myself. I can do creative work myself. I don't necessarily need a grant to continue with my creative agency. Not that I won't take money, <laughs> but I don't necessarily need funding to execute that. What I did need funding for, though, is traveling around the United States. And honestly, if if they gave more than $15,000, I probably would have done it internationally, but I had to keep it cute <laughs> and within that budget. So I decided, let me do this project where I actually explore what it means for Black American women specifically to navigate this space of being American, living in America. Some of us, you know, go back um, for generations to enslaved Africans, like literally descended from enslaved Africans. Some of us have paid a lot of money and studied a lot of long nights to become American. Some are first generation Americans, so their culture is a little different because their parents um, are not originally from America. And I wanted to explore who we are right now. And this also started when uh, President o Obama was in office. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't, it, it kind of the first, the first, um, I guess the first three months I was executing this project. So that was New York, Philly, DC, and Chicago. Those interviews have a bit of a different tone than like the LA and New Orleans and New York 2.0 because then Trump had won. And then it became even louder, that rhetoric of, you know, this is what America is. This is what patriotism is. We get to be patriotic. Y'all are other. Um, so that's, that's what American woman is about that, those conversations, um, that exploration of who we are, um, and, and also to explore the fact that we're not monolithic either. Mm -hmm. I purposely, um, looked for different religions, different ages, different body types. Um, again, first generation American, American for generations, people who had just become American through naturalization, and those, those conversations. And it was really important, actually, to, to have a portrait aspect to the project as well. Because, again, if you say, well, what does America look like? To me, I'm like, well, this is what America looks like to me. Right. It doesn't necessarily look like Jennifer Lawrence and Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer whoever, even though that's what we've been programmed to think. And a lot of, and one of the questions that I've asked every woman is, 
when you hear the term American woman, what image immediately comes to mind? And the vast majority have said a white woman, a white blonde woman, and like cut off jean shorts, looked like she came straight out of like a Van Halen video, or even Heather Graham in the American Woman video by Lenny Kravitz. Just not me, though. Mm-hmm. Not me and not my friends. But interestingly enough, the first generation American women, a lot of them said their mothers or their grandmothers. So I thought that was a really interesting exploration, too. But that was a long winded <laughs> explanation. But basically, American woman is a di- disruption and a pushback against the stereotypical archetype of that American woman. And it's not necessary to be like, accept us, accept us, because I think that we're off that. (laughs) I think it's been very well established that black women are kind of leading the charge and activism, pushing back and getting our voices out there, because I think we've been historically pushed and made invisible. So it's not necessarily about acceptance. It's really about disruption. And now you just finished up in New Orleans as we're, you know, doing this recording. How is the project coming along now? So New Orleans was my last stop, <laughs> which feels funny to say because there's still so many places I want to go. I want, I really wanted to get to Detroit. Well, so I'll list the cities I've been to. Of course, I'm executing it here in Pittsburgh. I also went to Chicago. I went to New York twice because I'm from New York, had to represent my girls. I went to Los Angeles and I went to New Orleans. I also went to D.C. and Philly, but... I actually went there to do other things and ended up just shooting a couple people. It's not like an official stop, (laughs) but New Orleans was officially my last stop mainly because number one, I've been doing it for a year now and I have to get to the next part of the project, which is editing this full length documentary that I want to put together for it, which was not my original plan. (laughs) My original plan was I just want to take these beautiful portraits of women and I should make it known, too, that every woman has picked her outfit and the location and the theme of her shoot. This is not me as a photographer saying, here's what I want you to wear. Here's where we're going to go. This is the backdrop. No, these are the women saying this is how I want to be presented to the world. Some of them have been made up, makeup artists, hair like pow. Some of them have come literally makeup less in a hoodie and and they're all coming out beautiful. Um But now I need to start editing this full-length documentary because these women, like Maurice, these women have said some of the deepest, most profound, interesting, thought-provoking things I've ever heard in my life. That is no exaggeration. And Black women wow me on the regular. But that some of these women, over half I had never even met in my life, didn't know them from a can of paint. But they were suggested from other people or just happened to wander upon my project on IG or Facebook or Twitter. And the things they're saying, I I really felt like I needed to represent that in a a full-length documentary setting. So that's the work that starts now. I just got back from New Orleans, oh boy, on Tuesday, at like 2 a.m. Tuesday. And I'm hitting the ground running with starting to edit that. If my computer can take it, my poor MacBook, and also just finishing editing the portraits themselves, because as of this recording, and hopefully once it goes up, I'll have a little bit more up. But as of right now, I'm still just starting to put up the Los Angeles portraits, and I shot Los Angeles at the end of April. Wow. And so it's just you. It's a one-woman show. It is. And that could be 
extremely vainglorious of me, <laughs> but I felt like because I'm the one that applied for the grant and it was my vision, I'm, and I'm also a control freak, I definitely recognize that. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was really important for me to edit it myself. Now, I reserve the right to call in some reinforcements. I definitely had different PAs in different cities who were all my friends, but I, I have called in a little bit of help there, but I really feel like the editing of this and the tone has to come from me just because I've been the one on this journey and I'm the one that these women have trusted to um, to deliver their thoughts and their stories. So I'm, I'm doing it myself. What has the project taught you? Like, I know you say you've right. taught these women and they've given you kind of such profound insight, but when you sort of look back at it now, what what do you feel like this project as a whole has taught you? Hmm, that's a good question. It's definitely taught me that traveling alone, for one, traveling alone as a black woman, even within the United States, can be a little daunting. Um, and maybe that's just being a woman in particular, and maybe that's just being a solo traveler. But I've, like, knowing where am I going to feel safe, who can I touch base with in this city has been a, a learning experience, but a very positive one, actually. I feel way more confident traveling now, even uh, internationally, which I'll hopefully do in the coming months, too. Um, so that's that's one realization. Um I've also just kind of learned how incredible it can be to simply have a vision and find a way to execute it, be it grant money or your friends doing you favors or raising the money in some other way. If you have like a creative vision and you have any means to get it out there. And I I don't feel like there's an excuse to not get it out there now with all the power that the internet holds. If one person hears your idea, they'll take it to somebody else. And that was something I was actually nervous about. I just didn't know how much support I was going to get. I knew it was a good idea. I knew my friends would be into it. I knew that black women would be into it, but I've had a lot of black men who've been extremely supportive of this. And it has nothing to do with with black men, <laughs> like nothing. There's not even, like even the way I'm editing it, it seems like ideally the full length documentary will be presented in a way that nobody else actually exists on earth but black women. At least visual, the visual presentation of it is only going to have black women in it. But black men have been very, very supportive and I, I don't think that's something I learned. I've, I've been su- surrounded by supportive black men my whole life, but it was just an added level of like, um, I guess I was just pleased <laughs> by, the, by the support of black men and also white people, honestly, or non-black people of color and white people have actually been pretty um, supportive of it too. I'd say maybe half of my patrons right now are not black people and not black women specifically. So I've learned that a good idea and something you're passionate about um, can really resonate with people who you wouldn't necessarily assume it would resonate with. I think that was a really, really good lesson. It was encouraging lesson. And I've learned, I've learned how to edit video. (laughs) 
I mean, I had done a little bit of uh, video editing on the Lost Queens uh, ad that I cut in 2015, but I had um, Christopher, the photographer on that project, actually edited most of it, and I came in the back end and just did my own edit just because that's what kind of control freak I am. But editing something from completely raw footage to like a final presentation, even in a form of like a minute long Instagram clip is something I had no idea how to do before. So thank you, YouTube tutorials. There's a lot of, there's a lot of knowledge out there. Honestly, if you want to learn how to do something at this point, there is knowledge out there. Even if you're asking on Twitter, asking on Facebook, asking on your social media, looking on YouTube, even signing up, I guess, for, for Linda or SitePoint or one of these other sites that kind of do that tutorial thing. There are ways to empower yourself to constantly learn. Learning is nothing we stop doing at all. It's And, and me as a creative and someone who actually loves to learn new things, um, I've been, again, really pleasantly surprised by that realization as well, that I'm empowered to learn some some SHIT. I'm going to try not to cuss this time. I know my last podcast was had like explicit content warning. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard to be a good girl this time. Uh, Stella Lewis, who is one of uh, our patrons as well as a, a former guest on the show, uh, she had a question. She wanted to know, how are you able to balance doing American Woman while keeping up with your studio and she also wanted to know, do you think there'll come a point where you'll be able to do American Woman full time? Mm. So how have I been doing it? I don't know. By sheer will and determination. That's such a boring answer. I, I'm not doing it perfectly. I'll, I'll say that. Okay. I have not been doing a great job of that. I think it's really important for me to be honest about that. Um, I've definitely pissed some clients off <laughs> uh, because just being a little bit late on deadlines. Because, oh, another thing I've learned, when I'm on these American woman trips, they're usually about a week long. I spent a week in, in L.A. and I spent six days in New Orleans. I don't get a lot of other stuff done because I'm doing usually three shoots a day. Each shoot is two to three hours. And they're also just taxing because I'm putting myself in a really emotional conversation with these women. Um, and also just going from like one part of the city to another. It's a lot of Ubers. I, I'm dragging a lot of camera equipment around with me. So the, by the time I'm getting back to like my Airbnb at the end of the night, I'm beat and tired. So I have dropped the ball on it. However, I'm finding discipline to be important and that is mapping out an actual time frame in which I'm going to tackle things being realistic about how long things take me which was another um, problem that I was having uh, and being honest actually with clients like it's very hard for me to say no a lot of people so what I've been blessed about and I probably said this in my last uh, revision past podcast as well I've just probably because I've been in the business for so long, but I think my reputation is pretty dope too. I don't have to look for clients. I've never had to do that actually, even at the beginning of my career. And maybe just again, because I've been doing this for so long, I always have people coming to me with these really, really interesting 
projects that I truly want to be a part of. And there was a time where I was saying yes to too many things. So the power in the word no, like I think Shonda Rhimes, her book is The Power of Yes. My mantra is no, the power (laughs) of no, the power of saying, I would love to do this. What is your timetable? When is your expected launch date? If it's, you know, within two months from now, unfortunately, I can't do it, but I can I can batch you over to my art director, Gentelle, who was also on Revision Path not too long ago. Love that girl to death. Or I just I just honestly can't do it. Or I can come on in a consulting basis, but I can't actually design it for you. So just really just being honest about my time and realizing I'm a superwoman, but I'm not superwoman. And I can't do every dope thing that comes to me has been a way to manage that time as well. And I'm a parent. So it's not just running um, Supreme Clientele. It's not just executing American Woman, but it's also like being a mommy and being a friend and going out and having time to turn up a little bit, Um, you know, take a bath (laughs) and shut the door and kind of have my own introspective moments, um, drink water, stay hydrated, flirt. (laughs) All of those things are important to me as, as my businesses. So those are just, just saying no, honestly, it's it's being realistic with my time, being disciplined, um, and also realizing I'm going to fail sometimes. Like I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to fall behind and being honest with your clients, I think is very, very important too. Now, as for whether I'm going to do it on on a regular basis, no, 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 (laughs) no. Every city I've been to, honestly, I'll even be in the lift and my lift drivers will ask what I'm doing. You know, why do you have all this equipment? And I'll tell them what I'm doing and they'll start suggesting people like, oh, my cousin is amazing. And I'm like, I am sure your cousin's amazing, but I'm not coming back here. <laughs> I actually met this really incredible woman in New Orleans named Sonali. She's the cultural engineer of Ace Hotel Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, Lord. Cultural engineer of Ace Hotel New Orleans, who I met through the cultural engineer of Ace Hotel Pittsburgh, Aaron Clark. And she said, come back in September. My house will be done and air conditioned by then. I have a whole nother group of women, of amazing black women. She's from Sri Lanka, but she's a real woke ally of black women. And I want you to come back. And I'm like, oh, Lord, y'all don't want me to ever finish this project. So explaining to people this was only supposed to be a year process and then I have to stop shooting at some point so I can start editing not only the documentary but this is an art project at at the very core so these portraits I want to like launch an exhibition a full exhibition which will definitely open in Pittsburgh but ideally and if the universe blesses me I would love to travel to every city I've been to as well to actually mount this whole experience of American woman where people can come and see the portraits. I want to blow them up really big. I'm talking like six feet by four feet, huge portraits. I'm actually going to be drawing and painting on the portraits as well, which is why if you go to the Instagram, every single portrait I put up thus far says work in progress. And some people are confused by that, but like how is a portrait a work in progress? Because there's a whole nother part to this project, which is me actually being a visual artist who paints and draws 
and I'm going to be tricking out these portraits and I'm really excited to show people because I don't think people realize that I do that kind of art as well. I think people think of me as a designer. Now, my old friends, actually, my friends who knew me since I was a teenager know me as somebody who draws all the time. I used to get paid to draw tattoos on people in school with like marker. <laughs> I might have said that on my last podcast too, actually. <laughs> I'm just, you know, just an artist at the core. I've always been a creative, always been an artist. So although I love the portraits I've taken thus far, there's another aspect to them that I want to do. And to present that in person and to have people come and see this exhibition in person, to look at these portraits, to be able to feel them, to have a performance art aspect to it and for people to be able to come and sit down and watch parts of the documentary right there is my ultimate goal. So in order to keep doing this, I guess it would have to be a series, but this portion, this part of the project, this first American woman, whatever the hell we're going to call it, is it, it has to wrap up like right now. So even though, and this, you know, based on what you're saying, even though you don't want to do this full time, it doesn't sound like this project is done with you yet. You know, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to let, I mean, I I, I have to just keep kicking it back to the universe because I've just kind of been going with the flow, um, which has been hard to like um, loosen the the fists that I'm constantly keeping. Um, My hands are always balled up. I'm always kind of walking around with proverbial fists. Um, I think a lot of black people are going through that right now, just trying to stay the course in feeding ourselves, feeding our families, staying sane, finding some joy um, in a current political climate that is stifling, frightening, scary, and honestly killing people. So it might not be done with me. But I'm just proceeding right now in a direction. Now, once I cut the documentary and I mount this show the way I want, if there's funding, hello, money, (laughs) that comes in that enables me to execute another version of this, I would love to do that. But right now, whenever someone says, oh, you have to come to... Atlanta, you have to come to San Francisco, you have to go to Detroit. All I can think of is how broke I am, to be perfectly honest. And I love my patrons. I love my donors. I'm really um, grateful and thankful for that, but it's still not funding everything at all. Well, let's talk about that, because I did want to go into funding. You know, of course, I listened back through our old episode to to kind of get an idea of where to start for this one. And I know that in that one, you talked about 1839 Mag, which was uh, this project you started, I think, right around the time we did the 100th interview. And it was based on uh, kind of capturing the Pittsburgh, I guess, black art scene in a way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a good way to put it. Yeah, it was like a cultural creative arts um, magazine about, about black Pittsburgh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like now that's on hiatus. You're doing American Woman now, um, and mm-hmm. now you're kind of, you know, going into this this other cycle where you're going to put it together into a documentary. And both of those projects were ones that were funded by doing grants. Yeah. Something that you mentioned earlier, which I thought was really interesting, is uh, the reason that you decided to go for this grant is because 
other people that you knew had gotten it as well. You said your cousin got it, a friend of yours got it. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the main reason you decided to go the grant route or was there more to it than that? So, so with 1839, um, that wasn't actually my grant. Um, an organization called the Kelly Strayhorn Theater here in Pittsburgh actually got that grant to execute 1839, but it was from the same organizations, funny enough. It was um, Heinz Endowments. So I think that if my family and friends had not won this grant already, and if I hadn't met some of the people from the funding organization, because Pittsburgh is pretty small, um, it I, I probably met some extremely, extremely influential, dope people in the arts and creative fields in Pittsburgh within like the first six months that I had been here. And I think that half of that is by function of being a creative myself, but also honestly through my cousin, cause my, like Damon is like the mayor of, of black Pittsburgh. He knows every freaking body. He's lived here his whole life. And now he's like famous or something. So <laughs> being his family member um, has kind of afforded me meeting a lot of really cool people here specifically. Um, I would not have gone the grant route if I didn't move to Pittsburgh and if I didn't already know people who had received the grant. And I'm going to tell you why. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I don't, I just, it would not have occurred to me that it was accessible for me, Maurice. I, I felt like the grant proposal process was hard and stressful and daunting, which it is but it felt more doable when I knew people who had gotten it and when they encouraged me and my ideas. I I guess I I work with my head down a lot. I'm always in the computer, always in Photoshop, honestly. And I just don't really look up that much to see the reaction in which my stuff gets. Some of that is because my client work it's their stuff, right? Like I'm passionate about the client work that I do because again, I take projects that I'm passionate about. Now I have is a, I'm blessed, honestly, because I know there's a lot of creatives out there who just kind of have to put food on the table and they're working on projects that feel soul sucking. But I'm at the point in my career to be lucky enough to only take projects that I really, really like. So in that way, it's been it's fulfilling to do client work. But in the other hand, I'm like not it wasn't until lately that I realized my work for my projects has an impact that would warrant somebody giving me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do it my way. So I would actually encourage and I've encouraged quite a few friends of mine now I've gone I have like a whole bookmark folder full of grants now. I've actually applied for quite a few at this point. Um, some of which I'm looking, I'm, I'm waiting on a couple of which I have not gotten, but that is okay. Um, so I've encouraged people to actually start looking at grant money because there's a lot of it out there. And I even helped people with their grant proposal because honestly, Maurice, my grant proposal was very me. I didn't try and sound differently. I mean, I didn't like cuss. I think everybody that knows me knows I have like a potty mouth. Or whatever. I definitely le- didn't like put any F bombs in there, but the voice of my proposal itself is very, very me. And anybody who used to read my website knows what my voice is. Like, I, I feel like I have a very strong writer's voice as well. So 
anybody who thinks I have to go hire a grant writer, who are talented people, by the way, in some grants, that is probably a good look. The ones that are especially in the 20, 30, 40 and up thousand range, you should probably tag in a grant writer of some sort. But those first few drafts, you can do it yourself and you have to write in your own voice with the passion that you can evoke when you're telling your friends about your project. I think that makes the difference between a a grant proposal that's kind of dry and something that makes the board who's reading it and deciding if they're going to give you money or not. Like, wow, this is, I trust that this person can execute this project because not only because of their background and their expertise, but their passion for getting this project done, whether we give them money or not, quite frankly. So it sounds like getting that first grant, um, aside from you knowing that people that you knew had gotten it before, it sounds like it empowered you to start going for more. Since oh, yeah. Like, yeah the pro- it seemed like it was a more accessible thing that you could mm-hmm. do. Yeah, it did. It felt, because now I'm like, okay, now, so I've written about American Woman so much now. I've done quite a few podcasts. I've done interviews in the press a little something, something. I have um, just talked to strangers about it because, again, when I'm traveling and I, I'm carrying, like, a camera and, like, a tripod, people are always asking me, oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? So <laughs> I, I've gotten really adept at, at explaining it, and I have all these versions of project descriptions. Like, I have a short little, uh, like, 200-word explanation for it, and then I have a really long, probably, like, 1200 word explanation of American woman. I have little, a sentence long that I can describe it with. Like, so once you start writing these proposals, you can kind of pull um, from that reservoir that you've created when you have to describe it in all these different ways, as well as doing an artist statement. So I actually feel like even if you are not interested in applying for a grant, I think every artist should just write an artist statement, even if it's for themselves. Like what is your artistic perspective? Where have you been? Where are you going? Why should people be interested in you as an artist? Why do you excite yourself as an artist? So even writing an artist statement for the first time, and this is being an artist my whole life and being a professional artist since the end of 1999, honestly, I had never actually even written an an, an artist statement before. So yeah, now I'm like, (laughs) now I'm like, no fear, honey. I'm like, what are you going to say? No. I've, you know, I've, I've heard, no, I'm not afraid of no. So any, and people send me a lot of grant stuff too, and a lot of uh, funding information. And now that I have that reservoir of information about this project and about who I am as an artist, it's become easier to apply for more. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the importance of building like a, I don't know, I don't want to say a package, but like building a brand for yourself do you know what i mean like if someone mm-hmm. say if someone reaches out to you for any kind of opportunity whether it's an interview um appearance at a panel or something like that can you talk about why it's important to kind of have something to give people for that i didn't have an artist statement or really even a, a set bio that i just can like fire off immediately until like the last year so again i don't want anybody to feel like i'm like you're not you know, you suck because <laughs> you don't have this done. Um, but it's important. And I have to phrase this really carefully because there is something 
that feels a little icky to me about calling yourself a brand. I know people are like mad into that phrasing. Um, and I probably have said it in some, sometime in the past too, but I've kind of got away from calling myself a brand because I think as an artist, we don't like to present ourselves like everything is extremely planned. I don't want as an artist people to think that I'm being that intentional about how I present myself. And I think that sometimes when you say I'm a brand, it seems like you're always on. Mm -hmm. And again, as a creative person, it can feel a little too planned out, I guess. Again, it, it, you got you just you got to have a bio, have two versions of it. Have one that again is about maybe 200, maybe 100 to 200 words long and then have, you know, one that's that's maybe a few paragraphs. Unless you're like super gangster, you really don't need more than maybe 3 or 4 paragraphs for your your bio. And I've had like character and word limitations that have made me extremely good at editing out what didn't necessarily need to be there. Like there was a time where my bio, and it might still, so I'm about to catch myself in a lot, but my bio used to mention like thatbitch.com a lot because that's still where a lot of people know me from. But it's not necessarily that important to keep talking about the past in that way. More so your bio should be extremely up to date the same way your resume should. Like how they say, you know, you don't need to have anything more than like 10 years old on your resume. I don't think I have anything more than eight years old on there at this point. I think your bio is the same way. So if somebody does come to you, especially if somebody wants to write a story about you, or even if somebody is like a blogger, and this is another thing, like a side note, me as a, a black woman and a black artist, I don't shy away from doing like people's newsletters and their blogs. Not like, well, I only do press for these major <laughs> media outlets and, and like, nah, I, I guess it's fine if you want to hold out for that. But I think that me starting as a blogger, I still have a lot of admiration for people who are their own independent media conglomerates from their bedroom, from their computer publishing a blog like that to me is still really freaking cool I don't care if they don't have a lot of visitors I'll send you visitors you put it up I'll link to it on my social media I got a lot of followers I'll give you some some shine uh just for being interested enough in me um to 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 reach out to me but when they do reach out to you, you need to have the bio and make your bio interesting I think again that a lot of artists and creatives feel like we have to make ourselves sound really corporate I'm not with that at all. And may, again, it might be just a luxury that I don't have to do that. <laughs> but make it interesting. Make it sound like you have um, always have work samples. I also, let's see, I was interviewing for insert huge Silicon Valley company here. I had to end up putting um, a presentation together and like work samples. Again, nothing that I had ever done. And funny enough, a lot of my designer friends don't even have a portfolio 
they don't even have a portfolio. They don't have time to make a portfolio. It's actually excruciating for even me to update my portfolio. I can't really put my finger on why designers suck so much at updating their work. But even having like a 10-page work samples PDF where you have some of your best work. So you can just fire it off immediately. If you Even you have uh, bullet points about your career or certain notes or quotes. If you have a personal project like American Woman that you're trying to um, get out there in the press, I actually have like ready-made quotes that they can use. Um, and I think that's important because it kind of makes journalists' jobs easier. <laughs> as well as any kind of media producers who might want to um, do something with your project. Which brings me to, I should definitely shout out a project called Beacon Sacramento. I actually think it just wrapped yesterday. But apparently in Sacramento, California, on 10th and K Street, American Woman, images and video from American Woman have been beamed across this huge building. Um I would love to have gone and seen it. Uh, they had a different theme every week. And the week of Juneteenth, their theme was black. And these are black curators and artists who um, who reached out to me for it. So just to have, and one of the things that the woman who contacted me said was, you have a really dope personal style. And at first I was like, oh, my clothes, I do dress cute, girl. But then I was like, oh, that's probably not what she's talking about. <laughs> she's probably not talking about, like, my new skirt. But she, you know, she expanded and said, no, I, I noticed that your personal website, which is sarahhoneyyoung.com, which is just what I call a jump page. That's not the right term for it, but I do what I want. And I call it a jump page because it's a way for people to jump to all of my projects. It has my social media on there. It has a very, very short bio. It has Supreme Clientele. It has some of the writing that I've done. Um, I do need to update it because American Woman is not even on there yet. But some of my older projects like New York State of Mind and Gangster Leon on there. And she said she noticed that that site and Supreme Clientele have the same look to them. They do have the same color scheme. They have the same branding. I, so I have branding for myself, which is funny because I just got finished saying I don't like to call myself a brand. But I do have personal branding that I use for my own personal stuff. So I think that even when people see something and they and you immediately come to mind, I think that's where branding yourself can come in handy. When like if you see the Nike swoosh, and I and I talked about this in the last podcast too. I swear I'm so consistent. If anything, you you don't need to see the word Nike next to it. You know that's a Nike swoosh. If you see three stripes, you know that's Adidas. And there's something powerful about doing that as an artist too, having people see your stuff and not even have to search to see who designed it or who this work is by, they already know your style. So maybe that's a better word for it. Having a style that that feels true to you, um, that is the result of all the artistic knowledge that you've collected that really reflects your perspective as an artist, I think that's more important than calling yourself a personal brand. You moved to Pittsburgh, you set up shop there. I want to talk about kind of what the Pittsburgh art scene is like and everything for you. Have they kind of, do they know the work that you're working on? Do you feel like you're like a part of the community there? So I know a lot of artists here in Pittsburgh. Um, 
and the Pittsburgh art scene, and I actually knew this before I moved, but I'm really um, positive about it now, is really cool. Like the black art scene specifically, I'm sorry, everything comes back to black <laughs> with me. It's really strong. There are some definite standouts, but there's a lively artist community here. And I think some of that, if not most of it, has to do with the funding around black art specifically in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of money here for black artists and they kind of pride themselves on that here in Pittsburgh. And I don't think the rest of the country hears about it enough, uh, which is something that I really want to change. Um, I'm actually considering taking a position at a certain arts organization here right now that would en en enable me to make that a more prominent um, thing. But the artist community here is very supportive. Um, there's a place called Boom Concepts, which I think even if you're not from Pittsburgh, if you know anything about the arts scene, the black art scene specifically, you've probably heard of it. Um, and they support black artists. They have um, fellowships. They have studio space. They present shows. They have events. They have parties there. There's another new place called Sanctuary Pittsburgh that's ran by a woman named Joy Kemet, who I actually photographed for American Woman. Um, and that's going to serve as like a gallery event space as well. And so there's a lot of really interesting things happening here. And I think part of what makes the art scene in a city like this. I call Pittsburgh a mid-tier city. I, I think the I think of the the like top tier cities being like LA, New York, Chicago, DC, maybe Atlanta. No offense. <laughs> but that's though those four um specifically. And then the mid-tier cities I consider to be like your Houston Pittsburgh, Philly. Um, and I think being a mid-tier city for one and having a lot to prove, because you're not from New York, you're not an artist from New York, you're not an artist from LA, you're an artist from Pittsburgh, where people still are just like, oh, like where the Steelers play, or oh, Philly, no, Pittsburgh, fool. Like I still have friends who think I live in Philly. I'm like, no, honey, there's another city that starts with P in Pennsylvania. And it, they're like five hours apart. I don't understand why people still think <laughs> I'm in Philadelphia. But I also think it's just the blue collar nature of this steel city. Because Cleveland is like this too. Pittsburgh and Cleveland have a lot of beef, like sports wise. But mm -hmm. the vibe and the artist community in Cleveland and Pittsburgh feel very, very similar to me. And I think some of that comes from the blue collar sort of vibe of these places and like what their families have been through. There's a place in Pittsburgh called the Hill District where August Wilson is from, uh, where they shot fences, actually. Like they shot fences, shoot, two blocks away from my uncle's house <laughs> in the Hill District in Pittsburgh. They did not take that to a soundstage. They were like in the guts of black Pittsburgh shooting that. There's a really famous photographer from Pittsburgh called Teeny Harris. Um, he, I, I would call him like the, the Gordon parks of Pittsburgh, but he worked outside Pittsburgh too. But that to me is like a good reference for people who have never heard of him. So these are people, so it's not like new for Pittsburgh to be like pumping out these really amazing black artists. Like that has been the case. And actually Teeny Harris, what I found really interesting and my boy at Ace Hotel, Aaron told me about this not too long ago. He actually documented the gay scene in black Pittsburgh in the 50s and 60s, which hmm. is pretty freaking incredible if you really think about the time. 
that that was happening. The fact that it was black Pittsburgh at that, not even New York. Like I can't even like express enough how living out loud has a different connotation a few decades ago in a place like Pittsburgh. So um, there's just a historical sort of um, feel to a city like Pittsburgh, where there are already some really incredible artists who have come from here. And I think that the artists that live here now, particularly the ones that are natives, they're really, really proud to come from a heritage like that and supportive of people who are highlighting Pittsburgh specifically in that way. So I hadn't even started shooting Pittsburgh, uh, Black women in Pittsburgh until, what is it? June, into June. I think I started maybe like two and a half months ago. And Pittsburgh was kind of just not paying me any mind until I did that. I was like, yo, I'm getting like written up in the root. <laughs> and Pittsburgh is like, yawn. <laughs> it's because they wanted to see what are you doing in Pittsburgh specifically, though. So I've shot some incredible women in Pittsburgh, including this beautiful singer named Anquanique Wingfield, who actually works for Boom Concepts as well. Uh, Alicia Dawn, who is Damon's wife, but an incredible artist and an activist in her own right. Uh, Liana Menis, Heather Manning. Joy Kemet, again, really, really well-known in Pittsburgh. Breeze Youngblood, she's an MC and entertainer out here. Kilolo Luckett, who's an art curator out here and an art historian. Very important voice in Black Pittsburgh arts. And my mother, <laughs> I actually involved here too. So now Pittsburgh is like, oh, okay, let's see what Honey's doing. They've known me, the artists here, but again, they're like, what are you doing for Pittsburgh specifically? And it was kind of annoying at first. <laughs> But I really, really respect that attitude now because a lot of mid-tier city artists, I feel, especially not native, because I'm not from Pittsburgh. My family is from Western PA, but I hadn't lived here until 2014. So it was, took a little bit more time for me to have that kind of pride in Pittsburgh where I wanted to really represent it specifically. And now that I've found that, they're kind of, uh, you know, trying to see what I'm working on now. So American Woman is, you know, when we talked about it earlier, it's this photo project. There's now video. There's going to be a documentary. Where does, if at any point, where does web design kind of fit into all of this? So, yeah, I gave such a long-winded explanation of American Woman, but the succinct explanation is American Woman is a multimedia portrait and documentary series about Black American women. That's my sentence long pitch <laughs> for American woman that I probably should have started with. But um, so the design aspect of American woman in general, um, there is a website now. Hallelujah. There always was a website, but it was very bare bones before. It just had an explanation of the project and basically said, these are the cities. Email me if you want to be a part. But now as I'm wrapping up and going to the next part, and especially as I, um, became a um started doing patreon as i say became a member of patreon i guess that works i launched my project on a platform called patreon so i i really needed the branding of american woman to be established because now we're getting into what i originally started as my career wise which is a web designer specifically a web designer and a graphic designer so the design aspect of american woman is 
to have eventually along with the exhibit uh, for anybody who can't see it physically, particularly if I'm only able to execute the exhibit, execute the exhibition in Pittsburgh. That was a song sister. I want all of the portraits to live on the website. Uh, I want to do a blog where I'm um, talking about the progress of creating the multimedia mixed media, I'm sorry, portraits themselves, because again, it, it is going to be paint markers, drawings that I'm embellishing these portraits with. I would love to show people my progress with that. Um, I want all of the women to be on the website because there's so many incredible women. I think there's, there's definitely over 50 at this point. I want to say maybe about 55, give or take. Um, I want them all to be represented on the site itself because right now, if you want to see most of the portraits and the video clips, you can go on the website now. It's, there's quite a bit of it up, but the Instagram is still the best place to see everything I've released thus far. And I think that's not, it's really important for me to reflect that on the website itself as well. I went back to the old school with this site too a little bit, Maurice. So to the listener... <laughs> me and Maurice come from a time on the web where there weren't really like ads on websites. There wasn't like above the fold. Uh, does above the fold even exist anymore with all the different mediums in which we present our work now? That's a good question. It feels like it doesn't, especially with responsive work. Right. Oh, I hated that era, the above the fold era. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this website, the American Woman website, it's AmericanWoman.co.co, not .com, is big. It's not like it loads. It does a lot of stuff loading, so it's not like super fast to load either. I guess it depends. On, even on so my my Wi-Fi is really fast, and I think it still takes a good like five seconds to load if I clear my cache. Um, it's it's a lot. It's very artistic. The footer is like huge. The footer is like as big as your viewport, mm -hmm. unless you once it goes, it is responsive. Um, but if you actually open it up on like a tablet, like especially like I, iPad Pro, if you open it up on a MacBook or an iMac, it's a large format site. It's high def as hell. It's not the kind of thing I would ever get to do for a client, I don't think. And that's what really gives me joy. And I said on my last time I was on this podcast, and I'm going to reiterate, have a personal project. If you are a, a designer or any kind of creative who does work for clients, you need to have your own personal project that you can do whatever the hell you want with it. You can design the website the way you want. You can hide the link to the, go to the next page and Easter egg and make people work for it. You can... You can actually make this your own playground. And that's how I'm approaching the American woman from a design and web design perspective specifically. And it's been really pleasing the reaction I've got from other web designers and other digital creatives specifically because they've said, like, I actually don't even see websites that look like this anymore. Because now we have to be like, oh, where am I going to fit the, the banner or how am I going to tie in 
the sponsorship portion or how am I going to sell this part? Uh, how, you know, what, how they got to scroll down to read this. They might leave. I, I'm sure. I don't think, I mean, my bounce rate might be, <laughs> no, you know what? My, so my bounce rate is like 50%, which is actually not bad. I think under 40 is considered really good. So I was shocked. Like, oh, people are actually kind of digging this, this website. So again, this is just the preliminary version. I do want to eventually have um, every single portrait on the site, a link to find all the women that want to be found. Cause I'm also, all these women are incredible in their own right. I like, Lord, these women are so incredible. I'm so like, I get emotional when I think about the women who have entrusted me. Cause I'm asking a lot of really um, difficult questions with American women around patriotism or lack thereof, where they come from, what they know about their lineage, uh, what pains them as far as um, Americanism, what they feel like traveling the world as not only a black woman, but a black woman from America, how they balance that dichotomy between being like woke and black and still having some kind of affinity for America just because like my ancestors died to build it, you know? So the mm -hmm. fact that I have women trusting me with that kind of information and, and trusting me to present them in the way that they want to be presented and not like editing it in a way that makes them sound that fits my purpose and not their message um, has been really touching. So I do want the website itself to reflect that as well. Uh, it's going to be ever changing. I'd say the website is going to keep expanding maybe forever, <laughs> depending on where this goes. But um, I do want to have a better presentation for a photo gallery and, and a, a short bio of all the women, um, as well as where to find them on social media to see their work. Because I have a lot of, I have singers, I have other creative designers, visual artists, uh, performers, actually I have a drag king that I photographed in New Orleans, which I first drag king I've ever met in person. Thought that was mad dope. Afrofuturists, poets, writers, um, expatriates, burlesque dancers, doctors, surgeons, um, just these incredible women. So I really want to get more information about them up on the website. Right now, the website f functions not only as establishing the the visual perspective of American woman, but informing people about what it is and how to give me money like that was very important because I'm still seeking funding and we should definitely talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. I've actually been looking through the site uh, as you were mentioning. It definitely is a, a wonderful graphic experience. And, you know, you've, you know, you're getting money from the Heinz Endowment, so you're getting this grant money. But you also are doing Patreon. Yes. You're doing Road. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about kind of why you want to do these multiple streams this way. Oh, yes. I would love to. So, again, big ups, Heinz Endowments and Pittsburgh Foundation. But they only funded half of my project um, mm -hmm. for I don't know why. Uh, and I didn't want to raise a stink about it because I didn't want to seem ungrateful. 
<laughs> like, ah, you only gave me this many thousands of dollars and not that many. Screw y'all. Like, I didn't want to go there with it. But I did need to um, pursue other funding after that money ran out, which it did after, I think, Chicago. And then I've been actually coming out my pocket several thousands of dollars as well for the travel and, and, and et cetera. So Patreon... Patreon is interesting. Um, I think it's still not necessarily age-wise new, but it's still, I think it's three years old now. It's still kind of in its infancy finding a foothold. Like a lot of people still haven't heard of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's really most popular with podcasters and video content creators. That's who I see when I go browsing, like, okay, who's making like, dumb money on this thing i think there's some and they're all they're all white to be honest with you too oh and costume. I'm white people i'm glad you i'm glad you said it and i didn't but i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> oh no I, I i noticed that for sure and there's a lot of cosplayer girls on here that make money because you know they're gorgeous and it's very similar to kickstarter in that you can have certain reward tiers depending on how much somebody is contributing to you. You can either do it like someone who signs up with you can give you this much per project. Like if you put out podcasts, then they can choose to give you a certain amount per podcast or per video. The way I'm doing it is just monthly because I'm like, what am I going to do per portrait? I'm putting out like multiple portraits a month. They would all quit me like, girl, (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) And honestly, I would put up like 80 portraits a month if people were paying me per portrait. But um, they are paying me uh, per month to be my patron, honestly, and to also get uh, a background look at what I'm doing. I think at the $5 a month level, you see everything that hits um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at least a couple days before, if not... I think there's still stuff I have on my Patreon um, for my patrons from months ago that I haven't even put on uh, all the public accounts for American Woman yet. At the $10 level, then you're seeing like rough drafts that may not make it live at all. Um, It's not just a preview of what I'm going to put up, but an actual like, uh, I'm thinking about this clip. I might edit it this way. Kind of like being... um, a voyeur to my editing process itself. Um, As you creep up in the tiers, you're getting prints of the final portraits of your choosing. I think my highest tier is like called best friend and I will fly (laughs) to the person and like take their portrait. I don't know if anybody's going to come in on that level, but why not? You know, (laughs) the least I can do if you're giving me $500 a month, I think it is, is come take your photo. It's been, it's, it's been interesting because again, like a, 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 a platform like Kickstarter, people are funding it to get something, usually something physical, um, or at least tangible, I might end up doing a Kickstarter for the coffee table book I want to put together for American Woman, but we're still months and months off from that. But Patreon seemed more attractive to me because I like the idea of giving people a way to become patrons of the arts. 
this is something that historically was only available to like royals or people with a hell of a lot of money. Um, and I, and I think it's really cool to give people an opportunity to be like, Oh, I'm a patron of that project. It sounds, um, sophisticated that, so that's Patreon. Um, and revision path is on Patreon too. I am a patron of revision path podcast and everybody listening should be as well. But some people don't want to pay per month, which I totally understand. Like that's a commitment, right? Even if it's $5 a month, there's still just, there's just something about that that some people just may not care for. So I added Gumroad not too long ago because that gives people the opportunity to just make a one-time lump contribution that starts at $50. And once you do that, you also go on my patron wall. And I'm really, I'm really proud of the patron wall on AmericanWoman.co because when you walk into like a museum um, or any kind of uh, institution, especially nonprofit sort of institutions, you actually see this visual presentation of their donor names and their patron names. A lot of them are really gorgeous. There's one at the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh that is gorgeous. So I wanted to do something like that digitally. I had not seen it done in a really cool way digitally ever. I've actually been looking for this since 1839 because it's something I wanted to do for 1839 before the person who has more control over me over it put it on hiatus going on two years ago or whenever the hell it was. But um, that has been a little challenging because then you have to get used to the ask. Asking people for money, at least for me, and honestly for a lot of creatives I know, it feels kind of icky a little. Um, I don't like begging, but closed mouth don't get fed, right? And the thing about Patreon as well, and I guess any funding, but Patreon specifically, and they even make this a point when you come on board, is you have to like constantly be pushing it. Because the first time, just psychologically, the first time somebody sees, hey, you know, become a patron of this project, they're probably not mm-hmm. going to do it. They may click on it and say, oh, this sounds dope, but they're probably not going to pull the trigger on it. I, I, I work like this, too, honestly. Now, the second time, the third time, they're like, OK, you know what? I actually that reminds me that I wanted to do this. That reminds me that I thought this would cool the last time. I think I'm going to do this. So that's something that I've had to get used to is just promoting it on that level, like promoting an ask specifically, putting up my content and my artwork and, and showing it to people and getting like those reactions from the work itself. That's not difficult for me. But saying, here's a way to give me money is still something that I have like some weird emotional shit (laughs) about. Um, But the multiple streams of, um, of funding were important again, because some people prefer to, to be a patron and to get that inside look of what I'm doing and to get things early and to kind of feel like they're in a secret society of this project that they're watching kind of get bigger and bigger. Cause when I started in July, it was a little project. It really was intended to just be a little thing. I'm going to travel from city to city and see my homies and take some pictures of them and just put it up. And it was still going to be tight, but the scope of this and the attention that it's getting now and the opportunities that are being 
provided to me are making it a huge project. So I think there are people who want to be a part of that and think it's really cool to see things before everybody else can see them. And then again, you have the people who are like, no, I don't require that. (laughs) I just want to give you this money and, and not have to like see your name and on my bank account every single month. And either one is fine. Um, and it's, it's been working out pretty well. Again, I think I need to push it a little bit more, but I think the next step is probably doing a Kickstarter for the actual print book that I want to do. How do you find Patreon? Patreon is a job. People don't realize that, I think, when they first sign up for it. It's it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'll sign up for Patreon and the, the patrons will start rolling in. Oh, no. no. Nah. It does not work that way. And I would wager, and I'm totally basing this off of personal anecdotal experience, I would wager it's harder for the type of work that we do because it is for uplifting black people. Mm, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that a hundred percent. Like the types of projects I see that get a lot of funding on, on Patreon. It's uh, I mean, some podcasts do um, illustrative work. I see tends to do pretty well. Yeah. Like when it was like putting out kind of a regular output of stuff. Um, I mean, I've been on Patreon for two years and it's been, an uphill battle every every single time mm-hmm. it's it's because it's what what I'm finding is that there will be people that want to you know be patrons of your work but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to contribute in any sort of way like yeah. in terms of feedback they may just feel good about oh it's this recurring donation you know three dollars a month five dollars a month what have mm-hmm. you but then anything outside of that, maybe it's a perk, maybe it's not. I almost have to think about it like in the way that people do public radio. Mm-hmm. Like I have to listen to public radio to get a better idea of how to structure how I ask for people to become patients. Yeah. Public radio is is persistent now. That they have drives and all this stuff, and I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I would like to do it like just to kind of see what would come from it. But it's been I, I have to have multiple streams of of income to keep revision path going. So it's, it's Patreon. We get like one-off donations with PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a job board, there's a store, there's also corporate sponsors. So it's like a mix of all of these things help to keep it going. I can't depend on just one individual stream right. to kind of make it. Right. Patreon, yeah, Patreon is definitely the most work out of all of the streams to kind of keep it, to keep it going. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at ways to simplify that. Actually, by the time this this podcast airs, I will have simplified it. But I'm looking at ways to kind of make it so I feel like I'm getting, I guess, more of a return on the investment. Yeah. That's what a lot of t- I mean, you're a patron. You know up a lot of fucking time. Yeah. You do. You're better than me. You're better than me. You're really, you're really on it. And sometimes there's been like... There was like a three-week period. I was like, oh, I didn't say nothing to my patrons. <laughs> I think I might be too much on it is the problem. Like I think I'm I'm contributing too much to the point where maybe folks are they gotta catch up. Like I mean, this is a thing that I've heard with Revision Path, honestly, since the beginning. It's like, why is the podcast every week? What, you want it to be every two weeks? I don't well, no one has said that they want it two weeks, but they feel like because it's every week and it's new, 
It's like, oh, I gotta catch up on it. But I'm like, your favorite TV show is every I'm saying. And I'm like, are there too many black designers and developers coming at your face? Like, catch up, honey. Like, yeah, yeah. Is it too many? I mean, what? (laughs) Don't say you don't know where to find us and then say, oh, there's too many. I can't. Like, come on now. I get it. I get it both ways. I get I can't find anybody. And then, oh, this is too much. Like, I I, I just interviewed. (laughs) I was interviewed with a podcast recently and it was sort of the same thing. Like before we started the interview, they were saying that. And then, you know, we finished and he looked at my archives and like, I, I purposely have the archive on, on a revision path to be one full page of every single interview. Like that's on purpose. So he was looking and scrolling through that and was like, this is, this is too much. What? No. Did not just talk to me about the fact that I'm at 200 episodes. Like I don't, I don't understand. No, yeah. it's important to do that for revision path because again, that rhetoric around oh, I, I didn't know where to find black designers. I didn't know where to find black developers. To see a page of 200 gorgeous black faces looking back at you like designer developer, hello. Like that's an important visual cue that I really applaud you on. Thank you. But yeah, to, to bring it back to Patreon though, it's it's a lot. And of course, Patreon keeps rolling out new features. Yeah, they just so redesigned got- it. That redesign is nice though. They did a good job. Yeah, they just did a redesign. So it's like trying to find... I, I think the, the main challenge with Patreon is trying to find the sweet spot between your level of participation and the amount of engagement you get back. Yeah. Because you may put too much into it and not get enough back and so you'll get burned out. Yeah. If you try to, I, I mean, I'm still, even after two years, I'm still trying to find the balance of like trying to strike what the, that balance is. And I think I've done it by the time this airs, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm trying to get that balance where I feel like people can still donate and what have you. And, um, you know, they can still feel like they're patrons without me feeling like I'm putting too much or honestly expecting too much mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this in the past few updates where it felt like I was really kind of leaning on them a lot to provide feedback. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not what they want to do. Yeah. Maybe they just get the money and that's it. And so I had to kind of reconcile that and say, well, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll that. take just the money. <laughs> I mean, it sucks because I want the feedback, but like, I'll take the money. The money is, is why I did it. So we can have the money to kind of keep operations going, but... Yeah, it's it's a job to keep all of that stuff going and trying to figure out, you know, what that balance is. Some people do physical perks, yeah. you know, they'll do, you know, T-shirts. And I mean, I've done all of that at some point in the past, T-shirts and notebooks and stickers and pins and all kind of right. shit. Like I've done all that in the past at some point to try to figure out what's the thing when maybe it's just they want that feel good feeling. Maybe the feel good feeling is enough. Yeah, because I, I, so I've noticed that again some of these white creators they're making like six figures easily a year off of patreon and their perks are the same like oh you get to listen to it a day earlier i don't even think people care about that like oh i get to listen to this a day earlier than y'all you know plebeians over there i don't think they care and then they're they're like comment section on the posts like some like and i was like oh these are like your public posts but these are still your patrons so i can't imagine the feedback happening like behind the the patron wall um because i'm not i'm not paying i mean i'm curious but i'm not paying them just to to look sorry white creators but you're good especially if if you look like ten thousand 
a freaking month and like just like oh god like it it's frustrating we could talk another hour i don't want to get too into it but i'm like <laughs> why is it I, I again i i don't try to operate from a place of like um yeah, not comparison or just like expectation or feeling um, like people are just obligated. Uh, but I'm like, okay, people, a lot of people say that they support, you know, black art or black creativity. But if you're not like, what does support look like for you? Again, if you don't have the money, then it's like, well, how much content are you sharing from Black creativity? Do you know other people that have the financial means to become donors or patrons? Do you have a contact that you think you can share with this creator um, who really is, is, you know, again, coming out their pocket to provide this because of their love for the subject matter. Like I love, I, I mean, I love black people, but again, this project, I wanted to do a project that was very, very personal to me. And I am a black woman, love black women. I call black women, my soulmates all the time. So again, when I, and I've got an extraordinary amount of support and I can't say that enough. However, it is a, a little um, discouraging to still be trying to find the money to fund this. And I, and I also don't want people to think the funding part, like, oh, you're done traveling, so the funding part is over. No, 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 no. That was just the phase one of this project. Now it's like printing out, you know, 30 portraits at huge sizes. Like, again, I, I'm 5'8". Like, I want these portraits to be taller than me. Um, and then, you know, funding the art supplies I need to add the mixed media elements. Um, I may have to pay to ship the those final um, versions to where it's going to be presented. The exhibition itself has a cost to it. Again, the coffee table book that I want to create has a cost to it. Maintaining the server that I use to host AmericanWoman.co has a cost to it. Um, taking myself away from my client work to work on this, buying new camera equipment, um, if I do want to continue doing it, all has a cost. So again, if you're somebody who has the means to support black creativity and you say that it's important to you, then you either should come out your pocket, gentle suggestion, <laughs> come out your pocket, or spread and or spread the word to people who have those means because we cannot be continually expected to put out this beautiful, thought-provoking, enticing, sometimes mind and world-changing output for no money. <laughs> and no support at all whatsoever. Because now there are people who, so I've seen several projects since I started American Woman from huge media outlets that are very, very similar in project description. Now I can't prove or say for sure if they got that project from me, but I'm like, okay, so we're like, we're in vogue right now, right? Black women are popular. Uh, right now, or at least like being woke to, to black women's issues and wishes and struggles and, and joys and creative work is a very popular thing right now. But I just wonder if 
the people who are creating this content and the people who are funding that kind of content, but not funding it from actual black women or black creators can all honestly say they have altruistic motives. So like, I can't state enough. If you truly want to support black creatives and black art and, and, and the work of black people in the design space, again, the creators of culture, then find a way to support it beyond just talk because we can't be expected to keep putting out this content with no incentive and and really no way to live within putting out this content. We shouldn't have to die, starve, or be mentally ill, you know, creating this content that that is important and that is will have a historical importance in the future as well. I really think revision path is already important, but I, I'm just curious to know what, what it's going to look like 10 years from now, whether you're going to keep going or whether someone else is going to take <laughs> up the map. I know it's like, oh, God, please. I mean, I would like for it to get that far, but you but know. But the archives it's... will always live. And to have this time capsule of black creativity right now is, I don't think people give you enough credit at all. For just like this project, you mean? For revision path. I don't think people give you enough credit for what you're doing because you have to just think about, again, what people are going to be able to reference later um, as far as like what was black creativity like right now? What were, because we're still, look, did, like web designers, developers, this is still new media. Like we're going on, oh, not, we're not even 20 years old. Like everything that we're doing 20 years ago, we wouldn't have careers. We'd be doing something completely different. I don't know. I'd probably be a tattoo artist or something like that. I'd still be doing creative work. But I, and this is how I think about my own work too, uh, American Woman and other work that I've done, like the Women's Freedom Conference in the past. I think about what will it look like 10 years from now, 10, 20, 30 years from now, even for someone to be able to look back and say, okay, this is really a glimpse into what black womanhood looked like in 2016 and 17 around this transition of power between a a, a black president who also had his problematic ways that I won't get into right now, but in, in general, I really love the Obama, sorry, I do. And someone like Trump, who it still remains to be seen what kind of devastating um, results this presidency will have on the world and the future. So with Revision Path, with American Woman, with, um, Lord, any, any, any Black um, content around creativity and shining a light on other people. What is this going to look like in the future? Because sometimes when you're like, oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I try to keep in mind, well, this is something that will live far beyond me, you know? I mean, you know, it's funny because we talk about kind of, you know, supporting for and paying for Black work. I mean, even Spike Lee has to start a Kickstarter. Yep. And then I hear the comments that people will say about that. It's like, oh, broke ass, you know, like, but if a, if a new, well, I don't know about Spike Lee, but like if a new De La Soul album came out or, or something like that, and this is how they had to fund it and pay for it, that, that doesn't make it less than yeah. if it didn't 
traditional to do it their way specifically i think that's another thing that people don't think about when they make those jokes like yeah sure they could probably get funding um to do this but at what cost like i probably could have gone to different brands to shop american woman i really wish i could say a couple of the media outlets that are doing similar projects right now but i don't want to because f them (laughs) But I probably could have shopped it to them. But I, I'm like, at what cost? Because I need to do this my way as well. So with like the De La album, with TLC, with Spike Lee, uh, with e- I think even Issa Rae is on Patreon still. And I'm like, girl, it's around HBO show, girl. But I get it. Like in order to keep putting out the content through with without putting it through a lens of capitalism or this lens of this huge media conglomerate that doesn't want to piss off their sponsors or the people who fund them. These are kind of the avenues that were created to avoid that expense. So I don't begrudge anybody um, for doing Patreon and Kickstarter and Indiegogo and the like. Anybody. It doesn't matter what level uh, you are at your career or how much money I think you have to create this content without my contribution. If I didn't have revision paths focused just be on black designers, I could have had this, I could be doing this full time. Yeah. If I opened up the scope. And I mean, if people have told me this, people that have wanted to fund it have said this, you know, if, if you, well, if it was, if it was more than that, if you focused on basically, if I also interviewed white people, mm-hmm. Like there's not a dozen of those kinds of podcasts out there. If that was the focus, it would be a different story. But because I'm solely focusing on black people, I know that it's, it gets less than, it gets perceived as less than, it gets seen as less than. And you know, that's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because I think the body of work and also the people that I've featured, I mean, I know for a fact that there's been people from the show that I've interviewed that have went on and gotten bigger and greater opportunities because of the interview. oh yeah oh yeah just heard about them and seeing their work in some sort of oh way. yeah it has been on a platform to honestly improve their life and i, I don't mean i don't mean to say that in like a braggy kind no, of no you can like, you better swag out a little bit i one of my <laughs> favorite people he he's my favorite client sorry other clients but love him. his name is stanley you know stanley he found me mm-hmm through revision pass and he is one of my he's a great friend and a dope client like he just I love working with him we kind of consider our like partners now like the way that we bounce ideas off of each other he found me through revision pass and again I am no slouch I think a lot of people know who I am but he wouldn't have if it wasn't for this platform so no you can you know brush your shoulders off and pop your collar a little bit (laughs) <laughs> you know, I read something. I can't remember who it. I feel like it was Black Freelance on Twitter. She said, "Why do Black people always, when there something good happens, they're like, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I'm humbled.' And I noticed I did that too. Like I'm always like, oh, I'm so humbled by this attention. I'm so humbled by this praise. And it's like, no, don't be humbled by it. You're dope. Like it's okay to say, you know what? I actually am pretty damn dope." And this product that I've created is pretty damn influential. Like, that's okay. At least to me. I don't mind being arrogant MF sometimes. If you're arrogant and you can, not even arrogant, what's the word? Confident. There we go. I'm confident. A little bit cocky. 
you know, a little swag in your step. I don't find any problem with that. I actually like it when historically disenfranchised people have a little cocky swag to their step. Uh, that, that's funny you say that. And that reminds me of this like old piece that I think I read on probably BuzzFeed or something about, uh, it was actually about Kanye, about how, you know, he's super creative, but he's also very arrogant about mm-hmm. it. And the question was like, well, why shouldn't he be, mm-hmm. you know? Look at what he's accomplished. Look at his body of work. Why shouldn't he be proud and boastful of that? You we know? talked about Kanye last time, too. <laughs> yeah, we did. I wonder if it's like the whole thing about, I don't know, the black creator maybe gets seen as as cocky by doing that. I don't know. I, I, I'm i sure there's a, a greater psychological. Oh, no, it's a, it's a black person thing specifically. We're always supposed to like put our head down and, and kind of just be workhorses and mules and, and not, I guess, just be humbled. Right. And be, you know, have all this humility and not really, um, have the occasional cockiness about our work. We're just supposed to like do it and, and be like quiet about it. That's just like a historical expectation of black people in general. I think just, you know, be quiet and just do the work and you don't need praise. Just do it for your own personal satisfaction. Like, fuck that. <laughs> no, we want the praise because we're putting in the work. Exactly. Especially the praise from other from other black creatives. That's my favorite feedback is from other black uh, artists and creatives um, in, in particular. I love it. What do you want to accomplish for the rest of this year? I really want to tour with the American Woman exhibition by the end of this year. I was about to call it the American Woman Experience, but that's a little too dramatic. We're going to work on I don't know how to phrase it yet. That's too cocky. <laughs> the experience. <laughs> I mean, it is an experience, but I just, you know, I just, it's corny. So I would really like to, to be touring with uh, the American Woman exhibition. I would love to mount it in at least a, a two or three cities by the end of 2017. Um, would love to have that coffee table in production before the end of this year as well, because I have some, if I do say so myself, some really dope visual ideas for how I want to execute this book. Uh, I would love to... Honestly, I have a new sort of approach that I'm going to be taking for not only onboarding, but actually development and design with Supreme Clientele specifically that maybe we'll talk about on episode 300. (laughs) Supreme Clientele needs to be restructured. I'm always going to head my design agency, but the amount of, I think, custom work that I do with it I need to change the structure of how I approach that. Um, that is something that I want to do by the end of the year. And I would love to continue my work around self-care. Oh, so boring. It's such a boring answer, but I really just, I just want to be hydrated and, get sun on my skin and smile more, spend more time with my friends and my kids and um, 
I don't know. Maybe I'll take a lover. <laughs> you know, the whole thing about self-care, I think, I think I, it's funny. I probably read this again somewhere, maybe on NPR or something about how like self-care is like supposed to be this new buzzword or buzz thing. But like, if we don't do it, when is it going to happen? We can't schedule this stuff in. It's it, yeah, it needs to be intentional, honestly. And again, I, especially for workhorses who are constantly have ideas running through their head and constantly feel the need to jump on the next idea and execute it because we live in a time now where you have to do things right away before somebody else does it. It's important to just be moisturized and take the time to flirt or spend time with your boo and be a person away from the expectation that that this new sort of social media atmosphere has provided where you feel like you're a competition and have to keep up all the time. That's um, something you should be able to, to get away from sometimes. Well, I think that is a good place to kind of wrap it up. Um, Thank you for listening again to me talk for so <laughs> long. But I love talking to Maurice and I love talking about design. I love talking about art and I love Revision Pass. And please support this podcast. It's so important to support Black designers and developers. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sarah Honey Young and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Honey and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. You know your business, so let MailChimp help you grow it. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing domains. Hover offers free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect domains to your favorite web service. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. 
Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.